out, nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Audubon Podcast. My name is Justin Vibber. You can find me on Twitter at Justin Vibber. And I'm joined as always by Chad Young, who you can find on Twitter at Chad Young. And once again, we are not joined by Niv Shaw tonight. It's just the Justin and Chad show once again. It went so well the first time we figured we'd do it again. As, as everybody listening to the podcast hits the stop button, <laughs> turns it off. <laughs> Wait for the well, next are we, episode. Are we, are we not what they're looking for? I, I don't know. I don't know. What One of the three of us is like the man behind Otto New. <laughs> and the other two are just a couple of guys making stuff up. So do you tell me, who, who do True. you want to hear from? <laughs> I, in any case, this is who they have, is Chad and Justin. Like it or not, you're going to listen to us talk about shortstops. Yeah, so why don't we start, as we always do, talking about the top tier at the position. I think we were both in agreement that the top tier is for sure, that number one is Fernando Tatis. And then do you have any other any other parts of that that you want to expound on as far as him being the number one? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is something that we probably could talk about for any position, but we haven't, and so I think it's worth mentioning the when we say somebody's the top guy, and I think it's in, in particularly true at shortstop, where there's so much talent at the top of this position right now. When I say Fernando Tatis is the number one shortstop, that doesn't mean that I think at the end of the season he's actually the like likely to be the number one shortstop. He's the best bet I can make right now of the like seven or eight guys who it might be. But if you give me a choice between Tatis and the field, <laughs> I'll take the field. Yeah, and I think that what that what that plays out in practice is that it has a real big impact on just how steep a, a price I'm willing to pay for that number one guy. And, and I think you've got a note in here about the the price gap between Tatis and the sort of the rest of the group, and I think it's worth noting. So, what did you have? I, I'm, I'm, I apologize. I'm trying to pull up your shortstop rankings that just went up on Rotograph. So you have. The two that I was going to call out were Tatis and then Alex Bregman, number two. It looks like you have them in the same $45 tier, but you do think there's enough separation that for you, Tatis is, is number one above Bregman? Yeah. I mean, I think when I look at those two and in a first-year league, I mean, what it really comes down to is I didn't think it was fair to keep Bregman in the $40 tier because I probably would go to 45 or 46 for him, but I'm not going to 50 for Tatis. And so they end up in that same tier just based on that. And so, but that same tier, the difference between 49 and 45 is enough. That's the same tier, but it's enough for me to feel like there's a clear number one and a clear number two. But I'm not, even though I think Tatis is the clear number one, I'm not willing to go that much higher than than I am for Bregman, in part because if I don't get him and I don't get Bregman, then I get Corey Seager. And if I don't get him, then I get Trevor Story. And if I don't get him, I get Manny Machado. And I can go so far down this list before I start to think, oh, that's a drop-off, right? Like, yes, there is a drop from Tatis to Seager to Story to Machado. Like, yeah, for sure. But 
if Manny Machado is my shortstop or Trevor Story is my shortstop, I'm not sitting here going, man, I really should have paid up for Tatis. And that really goes all the way down the list to like, Maybe, I mean, there's a big gap between like Bo Bichette, who's my number nine and the bottom of my $25 tier, actually he's alone in my $25 tier, and Tatis in the $45 tier. But if Bo Bichette's my starting shortstop, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> That's not a problem for me. And because of that, and because of the fact that at the end of the year, you know, do I think Tatis will be higher than Bichette? Yes. Do I think there's a 95% chance he'll be higher than Bichette? No. And so that that lack of certainty, and like I said, it's true at every position. It just really stood out for me here because there's so much top-tier talent at shortstop right now. Yep. And we alluded to that when we did our second base episode as far as there being a lot of really compelling players in the top of this tier. And I agree with everything you said regarding Tatis versus Bregman. I, I think they're very similar Surplus calculator has a, th- I think it's $3 difference between the two. So we're basically saying the same thing that they're in a, in a similar tier, but there's enough separation that Tatis is, you know, is above Bragman and not like in a virtual tie with Bragman. And I agree with all that. I mean, I think if you look at the, the points per game projection per depth charts, this may be a little out of date because I pulled the numbers a few days ago or whatever it was. Tatis was at 6.88 points per game, Bregman at 6.72. 0.16 points per game over 160, 150 games, whatever it is, is like 20 points. Is that right? Am I doing my math right? I think I'm doing my math right. And so that's where you get to this point where it's like, I don't know how much I'm really willing to pay for those extra 20 points. But there is a pretty clear drop after those two. So the next highest projection, who's the guy I have third right now, is Corey Seager at 6.49. And then you get down to 6.47 for story. And then I change the order a bit, right? The next highest actual projection is Glaber Torres at 6.34, Trey Turner at 6.27. But I've actually got Machado as my fifth shortstop, even though he's down at 6.09 for the projection. But that gap between Tatis and Bregman just isn't huge. And the error bars on these projections in general are not small. (laughs) So when you combine that all together, I mean, like I said, if it were, if it's Tatis versus the field, I will take the field over Tatis as the number one shortstop. If it's picking an individual player, I will pick Tatis. And in in fantasy, you can't pick the field, unfortunately. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Well, and then the other, the other thing, I think the natural response whenever we're talking about Fernando Tatis is the projections are still not at a level of what he's actually demonstrated in the major leagues so far, because the depth chart projections have him at 375 weighted on base. He's been at 396 through 629 plate appearances, which not an, is not an enormous sample, but that's basically a year's worth where he's been a 396 weighted on base and the projections aren't there yet. So if you were taking his depth chart projection and moving it up to his career average, then he is probably in the next tier above Alex Bregman. So you can start to to sort of do some mental adjustments for that fact. And then, of course, you've got Bregman, who's got all those sort of post-trash can issues there in, in Houston. So however you want to account can. for that. <laughs> PTC. Um, yeah, the PTC. It's um, the PTC era in Houston, and everything has changed. <laughs> okay, why don't we start talking about our breakout picks? I'll let you go first. It looks like you've got two, and I've got one. So I'll let you go, and then I'll go, and then you can do your, your second one. Yeah, so the first guy I've got here is Brendan Rodgers. And 
at some level, this isn't a this isn't like a, a lot of times these breakout picks are like this guy's stack cast data suggests he's better than he's been or this guy has better plate discipline than he's shown or whatever. Like with Rodgers, this is purely a bet on his pedigree and his talent. And the fact that looking back at his history, you know, his first taste of double A in 2017, he had a 333 Woba, which is fine, but not what you're looking for from a top prospect getting to double A. Second year in double A, 2018, his Ks went down, his walks went up, and he posted a 369 Woba, much more in line with a top 25 prospect. Later in 2018, he gets his first taste of triple A. He posts a 252 Woba, not only not in line with what you want from a top prospect, but just bad. <laughs> and then in 2019, he gets his second taste of triple A. He gets a chance to adjust. He brings down the Ks. He brings up the walks, and he has a 426 Woba. So now you've got a guy who I think people are sort of writing off. They're they're not – I guess I'll put it this way. Right now, he is not going for the same prices as a top 25 prospect at shortstop would go for. But he's got 102 plate appearances at the major league level. We're sort of writing him off based on nothing. He's still got that top 25 pedigree, and he has this history of adjusting, right, of growing into a level. And if you just look at that 102 plate appearances he's had over the last year and a half as sort of that first taste of, of major leagues, and now he's going to have a chance to have, he's seen some major league pitching, he can get comfortable up there, he can adjust. I would expect that like he did in double A, like he did in triple A, the Ks will come down a little bit, the walks are going to go up, and you're going to see him start to lean into the talent that everybody knows he has. With, with Arenado out of the way, it's a little bit less crowded in that infield. And so I think he's more likely to get a chance this year. He had uh, a pretty significant shoulder injury a couple of years ago and sort of lingered and it's you know cut off his season last year, but he appears to be healthy now. He's already got a home run this spring. So obviously he's going to be the MVP. That's what happens when you hit one spring home run, I believe. <laughs> so I, I just, I look at him and it's like, I don't know. I, I, I he's, it's almost like if he hadn't made it to the majors yet, if we were just looking at him and he was coming off of his triple A season, man, we'd be paying a lot of money for him right now. He'd be an elite prospect in an elite position in a hitter's heaven. And instead everyone's like, Oh, 102 major league plate appearances. I'm out. And I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. And I think you're exactly right that if he had never gotten a cup of coffee yet, and, you know, even with a little bit of struggles at AAA and, and in AA, I think we would have we would be looking at the auto new market would be looking at Rogers a lot differently. You know, he is 24. He is going to be 25 during this upcoming season in August. But that's not too old for him to be a post hype sleeper. And I think it's a it's a great pick for for a breakout. Um, I mean, a guy coming out of AAA at 24 and getting ready for his first full major league season wouldn't even necessarily be a post-hype guy, right? He's only post-hype because he came up at 22. And, and struggled a little, yeah. And and, he, and, he, and he, I even think it's like, it's almost unfair to say he struggled a little. He literally has 102 major league plate appearances. So he was hurt. And yes, those 102 plate appearances were bad. But I don't know. I have a hard time looking at 102 plate appearances over two seasons broken up by injury. One of the seasons was the COVID season. Like you put that all together and it's like, I'm not even sure I'm willing to say he struggled. He just never really got a chance. Yeah. And his last 10 average salary is about 550. So, 
I mean, you're, you're talking about a five or $6 flyer on someone that could, as we're talking about this breakout segment could, if he hits and if he does what we thought he was going to do before he came up, he could be well worth that investment. And, and again, it like, yeah, there's risk there. The floor is zero, but there's a lot of reward if he, if he does anything close to what uh, the expectations were for, for Brendan Rogers. Yeah. And this, he, he came up on the, the keeper cut podcast, the other podcast I host, he came up in our, our most recent episode as well. And one of the things I mentioned in there is that in the last auto new auction I've done so far this year, I've got a couple more coming up, but the, the Brinks auction 649, Justin league, you're in with us. Niv and I are co-managers in that league. We talked about this in the last episode because we had a bunch of money left over in that league because we didn't spend early. We talked about it in relation to us overspending maybe on Mike Clevenger, but we also spent $10 on Brendan Rogers. We are driving up that average price. Now, I don't know that I want to be spending $10 on Brendan Rogers necessarily. <laughs> like That's not necessarily the best use of $10, but late in a draft, where we are going to have, pl- we had plenty of cap left over. We're not in danger of running out of money in the season. I do think there's a chance that he puts up a $15, $20 season. And so we paid 10. If he, if his shoulders keeps bugging him and stuff, fine, we'll cut him and we'll deal with that. But if he does what I think he's capable of doing, his, his upside, right? Not what I'm projecting, but the upside, the breakout potential we're talking about, I think we're going to be thrilled to keep him at 12 bucks next year. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a it's a good pick. My pick, same division, is uh, the Padres' new acquisition, Ha Song Kim. There's a lot of variance with this, and that fits with a breakout pick. His last 10 auto new ads are an average of $9 as the 19th most expensive shortstop off the board. The surplus calculator... I'm 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 sorry. So let me let me backtrack. So that's his his last ten ads are at nine dollars, nineteenth shortstop off the board. His zips projection is a three thirty weighted on base, which is very similar to Marcus Semyon. And Marcus Semyon is also nine dollars on the surplus calculator, but as shortstop sixteen. So if you looked at his zips and you weren't looking at steamer or the bat, he'd project to be slightly above where he is right now. However, the other source that I like to look at, especially with these imports from the foreign leagues, MPL and the Korean league, is Clay Davenport's projections. He has Davenport translations for all of the foreign leagues and all the minor leagues that he translates to an equivalent major league level. His Using his translations, he's projecting Kim at a slash line of 286 batting average, 362 on base, and a 439 slugging, which is very similar to like Jeff McNeil or Justin Turner, but without as much power. So the the the, the batting average, the on-base, and 90% of the power of those two names at the shortstop position. Now, Davenport doesn't use weighted on-base. They do something called EQA, which is basically WOBA is scaled to on-base percentage. EQA is basically the same metric, but scaled to batting average. So 260 would be average. Kim's EQA projection per Clay Davenport is 279, which is above average, actually well above average because he's as ranked as the 55th best hitter by EQA per those Davenport projections. And that's higher than Trevor Story and Glaber Torres. So given all that, yes, it's just one projection source. We can't invest fully in that one source. However, it is a source that's had some pretty good success with these translations 
And that shows you what the potential I think could be there. He's going for $9. I think if he, if he reaches that projection, just that Davenport projection, then he's a 20 plus dollar shortstop and he's going for $9. He struggled this spring. He hasn't hit very well, but I would expect something like that for somebody with his first taste of, of major league action and his first taste in a new, you know, first experience in a new country and all that. But the good news is he started seven out of the 10 first spring training games for the Padres. He's played at shortstop, second base, third base, and DH. So they're moving him around to get him in the lineup. And he's primarily been slotted in batting second or third. So all of that to me speaks to the fact that he, he is going to get playing time. He is going to play at shortstop and second base. Maybe not shortstop as much with Tatis at shortstop, but he'll get time to fill in maybe if, if Tatis is in the lineup or if he's shifted somewhere else. And I think that there's upside here that that exists beyond, above and beyond that $9 price. I mean, the $9 price is not cheap. It's, it's definitely hefty. But for other players in that range, I think he offers way more upside than some of the other options in that 5 to $10 last 10 average price. It's interesting. I think... I feel like you're you're reading something different into the spring playing time than I would. What I see when I look at that is they've got the one guy on their roster who needs as many spring plate appearances and as much spring experience as he can get. And so they're batting him like I don't I could be wrong. I cannot imagine he's going to be hitting second or third in that lineup very often. They're doing that now because it allows them to give him the two or three plate appearances before he gets pulled late in the game. And I think that they're putting him in almost every day for the same reason. How do we get this guy as many plate appearances as we possibly can before the games count? I, I, I still believe that Jake Cronenworth is going to prove to be too talented to be benched very often, which means that Kim and Jurex and Profar are going to be behind him. And I think they will both get enough playing time to have some value. But I do worry that if you get, if you get to a point where, where Cronenworth is playing between hundred and 120 games, mostly at second base, then Profar and Kim are left basically splitting those 40 to 60 games, another, let's say, 10 games at shortstop when Tatis gets a day off. Plus, they will be the primary backups for any of the outfielders, any of the infield, like literally anybody in that roster takes a day off. One of those two guys is going to come in. That's enough to get them up to 70 or 80 games each, maybe even a little bit more. But I, I struggle to see him playing the like, 130-ish games that I think he needs to get to that that potential $20 upside. But I agree that people are probably sleeping on that upside a little bit. Right. And, and yes, those the, the lineup constraints that the Padres have with all the players that they have to try to fit into eight lineup slots every day when they're not playing in, in an AL park. Yeah, I agree. And, and yes, Roster Resource would agree with you. They have Cronenworth as the full-time, well, not full-time, but as this opening day second baseman. So yes, there is playing time risk there. But for me, the breakout pick is, is if he proves that he's worth being in that lineup as much as possible, they do have, I mean, obviously Cronenworth can can shift around the diamond and he could become a super utility where Kim is the primary second baseman two-thirds of the time. I think that there's a lot of potential there. And I think, yeah, you would need Kim to, to get 130 plus, 140 plus games to be worth 20 or $25. But like I said, in that range for that price, the price right now is a little high, 
but I think the upside is is even higher if he can get a full-time job or, or mostly, you know, most of a full-time job. Okay, you had another breakout pick. I want to bounce it back over to you for that one. Yeah, the other guy I'm really interested in is Willie Castro, who I liked last year. I had on a handful of teams last year. And then over the offseason, I spent a lot of time sort of trying to figure out, like, is this guy for real or not? Because he had such a good year, but it, it, it was it was messy in some ways in terms of his, his bat bip and how his plate discipline and stuff like that. But when I look at his contact, he's got a really interesting contact profile from StatCast where his average exit velocity isn't particularly good, uh, but he has a decent max exit velocity and his sweet spot rate is really high. And as a result, he barrels the ball a lot. So sweet spot, so basically with the way those three things fit together, hard hit rate is going to measure how often you have an exit velocity over, I believe it's 95. Sweet spot is measuring how often your launch angle is between 8 and 32, which is sort of the ideal launch angle. Barrels are at some level, it's a little bit more complicated than this, but their basic level, they are measuring when you have a hard hit ball in the sweet spot. Right, And so when those two things go together, he doesn't have a super high hard hit rate, but he is in the sweet spot so often that when he does get the ball right, when he does hit it hard, it is a barrel. And so he ends up with a pretty high barrel rate as a result. So I, when I look at that, I'm, I'm just super intrigued by, by that and wondering what happens if he can tap into his max exit velocity more often while maintaining that sweet spot. And this year, Savant has a pretty great leaderboard you can check and, and are searchable. It's not a leaderboard. You can search their database for spring training data. They don't have all games. They don't have all parks. So it's, it's a little bit hit or miss what StackCast data you can get. But he's got 10 batted ball events this spring. As of this morning, he had 10 batted ball events this spring that had been registered by StackCast. Four of them. 110.6 miles per hour, 103.2 miles per hour, 102.8 miles per hour, 102.6 miles per hour. He had another one that was at 92, so just below that hard hit threshold. Now, small data, whatever. That Having four balls out of 10 at over 100 miles per hour is an awfully good place to be. And if he continues to sting the ball at that rate and continues to have the right launch angle on those balls... He may end up with a not particularly exciting exit velocity on average because he also gets a lot of soft contact in there. But he's going to hit more home runs than you would expect based on his average exit velocity because when he does get it, he gets it right. Yeah, I, I like that call. I mean, it's it's definitely a sort of, I, 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 you know, I don't have his last 10 at hand right now, but I know that Castro is definitely uh, a shortstop that you can pick up on the cheap. And I agree with everything that you're saying that he's a guy that I've had an eye on as like a really cheap discount play with some upside. It looks like, yeah, he's got a last 10 of about two and a half, three dollars, depending on the format. So, yeah, I like that call. And <clears throat> all right, let's move on to our value picks. I'll go first. It's sort of a cop out, but in some ways it's not. What I did was I looked at the last 10 at the shortstop position, compared it against the surplus calculator dollar values, just to sort of see in general which players are going at a discount compared to the values that I have loaded in the surplus calculator. Almost across the board, shortstops are going higher than the surplus calc dollar values. But where they're, where they're very close is mostly on the top end. 
And so Fernando Tatis and Alex Bregman are the top two shortstops. I think they may also be in the in the conversation for the best value, not because they're going to produce something way above the price that they're going at, but more that when you're paying for a $25 shortstop and you're paying $30 for them, I'd much rather pay $45 for a $45 shortstop in that case. And I think that's kind of what's happening across the board at the shortstop position. So in some respects, I would say that if you're if you're in a first year league and you have the opportunity to roster Fernando Tatis or he's a, you know he's up at auction, I I would take him up right to your max bid because I think that might be the best relative value that you can get. And then obviously there's a lot of upside even even there because there were times last year when I was doing the rest of season dollar values for the surplus calculator he was fifty fifty plus dollars at that point at the shortstop position. So I I think there is a fifty dollar shortstop there if he maintains that that current level that he's been at so it's it's an odd thing for me especially to call out 40 dollars players as as values but i think we might be in a situation given how much demand there is for shortstops in auto new that these top two shortstops off the board might be relative values yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and i think when we when we get down to our our strategy discussion at the end of this that'll come up again i think because i feel the same way and it heavily influences how I shop for this position at auction, in off-season trades, in, in just in general. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you're right. They aren't a value in the traditional sense of like, you're going to get so much more than you paid for because everybody's ignoring them, right? Most of our value picks, if you go back and listen to our past episodes, are like older, kind of boring guys that either had a down year or something and everybody's sort of writing them off and not paying attention to them. That's certainly not the case for Tatisa Bregman. (laughs) But I think you may be right that people hit a point on those top guys where they're just not willing to spend more, right? You you hit a certain point. Like I think in a lot of first-year leagues, Mike Trout is a value for the same reason. People hit a point where they're just like, I can't really spend this much on one guy, but you can if they're worth it. And and I think Tatis and Bregman are, are maybe pushing that. I also, when I talked about those top guys and the volatility at the top and the fact that just because I think Tatis is number one, it doesn't mean he's going to end the season as number one because the odds are still, you know, the field is stronger than he is. That also impacts, I think, people willing to say like, oh, I don't want to go that extra dollar on Tatis because I could get Bregman. Well, I'm not going to the extra dollar on Bregman because I could get Seager. At some point, that ends up resulting in at least one of those guys, one of those top three, four or five guys too many people back off too soon and someone's going to be a deal. And so I think that makes, I think paying at the top of the shortstop position makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And just, just a quick uh, follow-up on that is you have both of those players as your $45 tier, which really is 45 plus. And Tatis's last 10 ads have been at $46 and Bregman's last 10 ads have been at 43 and a half for Fangrass points league. So that's just sort of illustrating that example of, yeah, the price isn't cheap. You're not really saving a ton, but they're kind of par. And at, and at a position where a lot of players are going way above the price that I think they should be, that becomes a relative value. Yeah, I also think it's, uh, particularly for Tatis, who if he puts up another season like he just did, the projections are going to catch up. His value is going to go way up next year. And if you're getting him at you know 46 when he's probably worth 49, maybe pushing 50, there's a very good chance that he's like 55 to 60 next year. Right. And so he becomes a huge value. It's a little bit messier with Bregman because he's probably not a shortstop next year. And so his value is going to take a hit. If you're buying Bregman, maybe it's an argument for overspending on Bregman this year. Like 
he's not going to be a keeper anyways, because this year you're paying for him as a shortstop and next year he won't have that eligibility. So maybe that's an argument for saying like, who cares if you go the extra dollar or two, it's gone at the end of the season regardless. But that does, it does complicate things or make things a little bit different with him because he doesn't bring, if he bounces back, he's still going to go down in value next year. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's definitely a play you could make, especially because I feel like in a lot of leagues, Bregman is available in these returning leagues because he was thrown back because he had a somewhat disappointing 2020. He doesn't have trash cans. No trash right, cans. Right. PTC. Yep. PTC. <laughs> All right. I know you've got a couple of value picks. So why don't you, why don't you start with your first? Yeah. So my value picks are probably less like, and this is, this is pretty typical for us. I think I, I tend to look at guys who I think that the combination of the projections in the market are just too low on them. Whereas you tend to look at guys who the projections in the market disagree the guys I have, I think, are guys who are just, in both cases, are a little too low, both the market and the projections. And they fall into that sort of boring older guy category I mentioned a minute ago. Uh, Didi Gregorius right now, by his price over the last 10 ads, is the 23rd shortstop off the board. In first-year leagues, he's the 21st shortstop off the board. Um, and by off the board, I mean in terms of ranking how much he's paid, average salary, not... This isn't like a draft where he's actually the 23rd or 21st taken. He's just paid the 23rd or 21st most. Last year, he was 17th in points per game among shortstops. And there are some guys who were ahead of him, like Yairo Munoz, who played 12 games or something like that. Right. And so, and, and a couple other guys, I think Miguel Rojas was above him, who I don't really believe in. Believe in. Like, I really think that if I look at last year's top, you know, if I was looking for the 15 best shortstops last year that I'm interested in for next year, Gregorius is in that list, and yet he's going outside the top 20 in terms of how people are valuing him right now. And so I, I was I was high on him last year. I think if we go back and listen to a shortstop preview last year, I talked about him being underrated just because he was coming off that injury and people sort of had lost track of him. He's a really good hitter. And on top of that, last year, he posted a career-best K rate. His exit velocity and hard hit rates were down. And so maybe he's getting a little older and those rates are, you know, that the contact qualities can continue to fall. I'm more inclined to believe in the plate discipline improvement than I am to accept the fall off in contact quality over a short sample. And so I actually think there's upside for him where if that plate discipline improvement is real and he goes back to hitting the ball as hard as he's capable of hitting it, he could be a top 12 shortstop instead of a top 15 shortstop, but he doesn't even have to do that. He just has to repeat what he did last year and he'll be a, a value compared to where he's going. All, all I was going to say in response to that is that it, it feels to me like Didi, and maybe this is just me, it, he feels older than he really is. He's still only 31. He, so he's kind of still in that peak. He's not really post-peak yet, but I feel like my mind, if I had to put a guess, I would have thought he was like 34 or 35, but he's still 31. So we can expect him to be close to his peak here for at least the next couple of years, I think. So, and yeah, the surplus calculator has him as the 15th most valuable shortstop. So it's kind of right in line with what you're saying. You had him 16th in your rankings. So I agree. I think it was a good pick. Yeah. So then the other guy, like again, similar boat guy who's been very good in the past and, and not as good last year, Jorge Polanco. He is in, by the last 10, his last 10 ads, he's the 29th highest paid shortstop. In first year leagues, he's the 24th highest paid shortstop. He was not good last year. So I don't get to do what I did with Didi and say, oh, he was 15th last year. People are crazy. He was bad last year, legitimately bad. The year before, he put up 6.3 points per game. The year before that, he put up five points per game. 
His max exit velocity in 2020 was a new career high for him. His hard hit rate was steady. He had some health issues last year, and the team talked about him sort of not being like Rocco Baldelli, Baldelli was talking about him. Like they had to, they sort of had to take care of him last year. They had to go easy with him. And so I think this year he's coming back healthy. The big question with him, and I think part of what's driving down his value is playing time concerns because he's, he lost the shortstop job there when they added in Drelton Simmons. But everything I've read suggests he's the starting second baseman there. And yeah, Arise is going to get some time. And yeah, Polanco is going to have to share time. Baldelli has made a point of saying Polanco will be in the lineup. I'm going to take him at face value there. And now I'm looking at a guy who is going to be second base and shortstop eligible pretty early in the season, who is coming off a down season, who is you know, the 30th, 25th to 30th most highly valued shortstop and certainly has the potential to be a lot more than that. And you don't have to buy him to be your starting shortstop or your starting second baseman for that matter, or even your starting middle infielder. He's going at a price that you can grab him as your fourth or fifth middle infielder. And he has the potential to put you in a position where you can trade somebody more expensive during the season and and promote him to your middle infield because he's capable of putting up a six-point season, six-point-per-game season like he did in 2019, which was not that long ago. Yeah. And and we, we, we alluded to him a little bit when we did our second base episode because I had mentioned Arise as a pick for me. And and I do I've been I've been targeting Polanco at the back end of my auctions as well for all the reasons that you just mentioned. One other quick value pick I want to mention, I alluded to the fact that most shortstops, almost all the shortstops are going for more than the surplus calculator has them at. The only exception is Corey Seeger. I think that this is somewhat of an artifact. I need to make a caveat. This is somewhat of an uh, artifact of the fact that the last 10 ads is only going to have new auction data if that player is available in the auction. I think Seager was rostered in enough places at a discount that from last year that he it's it's influence, influencing these numbers I'm about to mention. But the surplus calculator, he's the fourth most valuable shortstop at $35. His last 10 ads, he's the ninth highest paid shortstop at $31. I did look real quick at first year leagues only to see where he slots in there because I think there have been a few Fangraph Points leagues that are first year leagues that have finished their auctions. And he is the sixth highest salary shortstop tied with Trevor Story at $37.67. So at least in terms of ordinal rank, He's seventh, sixth, tied for sixth off off the board in first year leagues, but the surplus calc thinks he's the fourth highest. And again, he sort of falls into that line with Tatis and Bregman where it's basically a par price you have to pay where everybody else is going at a premium. So I wanted to make sure that I mentioned him. Okay, now let's talk about bus. <laughs> now to turn turn the to the other side of the coin and, and and talk about guys that we're we think that are are being over overpaid or have potential to blow up in the wrong way <laughs> this season. Yeah, the guy I'm I'm leaning on here and I it's a little bit of a rough a rough guy to call a bust because he's not that expensive. Tommy Edmond in first year leagues is going for $11, $8.50 over his last 10. He's a little bit cheaper, more like $5 in Fangraph's points leagues, which makes sense because he has a little bit more value in 5x5. Five five. And so 5x5 five five is, is likely inflating those values. But I look back at him and it's like his 2019 feels like it was carried by his BAPIP. He wasn't good in 2020. He doesn't hit the ball hard. And so... I'm struggling to justify that $5 price point, even in Fangraph's points leagues. It's like, 
what does he bring other than the fact that you could plug him in in a bunch of positions? I just don't get it. He's on, you know, on my rankings, I've got him in the $0 tier. He is my 64th highest ranked shortstop. There's even, I mean, there's a number of major league regulars above him, but below my $1 tier. Like there's other guys I would take a flyer on before him. It, It feels rough to say like, oh, $5, this guy's a bust. But if you waste $5, you're wasting $5. And I right. kind of think you're wasting $5. Yeah, I, I have to agree. And a lot of that is, is again, as always, I'm anchored on the projections. And I think he's $0 on the surplus calculator based on the depth charge projections. So, yeah, I mean, with a lot of other options, you know, at shortstop, it is a deep position this year. It's hard for me to, to understand it either. I think it's probably just the fact that he has hit even – if you include 2020, he still has a 335 weighted on base for his minimal career so far. So if you're looking at that and not the projections, then it maybe looks a little bit better. I can definitely justify $5 if you think he's going to hit at that level. But I don't know. There's It's a guy without a lot of track, track record. I mean, the projections are not buying in. So now <laughs> this might be the part of the episode where, where we get into an argument. <laughs> I don't know. I want to I want to find out. I got my uh, boxing gloves on. Okay, because get ready. Because my bust is is Frankie Lindor. He's projected at 116 weighted runs created plus, WRC plus. And that's what he did. That's basically an equivalent projection to what he did in 2019. And even better than what he did in the short season last year. The surplus calculator has him as the 10th most valuable shortstop, but only at $23. His last 10 ends are as the fourth highest shortstop being purchased and at $40, I just don't buy a $40 shortstop for Lindor. His expected weighted on base in 2019 was 331. In the short 2020, it was 345. Even if you put him in his career average weighted on base, which is 351, that would put him at around Trey Turner, less than Trey Turner, but higher than Carlos Correa. And that's $31 and $22 on the surplus calculator. Where's he going in first year leagues? I have that pulled up right now. The reason I'm asking is while you're pulling it up, the reason I'm asking is he was in a, in a 2020 season in which every shortstop was great. He was notably not great. And so he is in a lot of leagues from what I can see one of like two shortstops available. And so outside of first year leagues, I think his price is inflated by, by some scarcity. I think people are not saying he's a $40 shortstop. I think they're saying it's him or it's nothing. Is that not true? <laughs> You're shaking your head at it, me. <laughs> it doesn't appear to be true. I'm looking at, again, I don't know how many leagues. Is this, We're probably talking about an, an exceedingly small sample here. But I'm looking at Fangraphs points leagues, first-year leagues only, and he's the second-highest shortstop with an average salary of $43.67. Okay. So about well, everybody but Tatis. Now, again, this could be two leagues we're talking about. If I if I change it from Fangraph's points and I just look at all game types, if we want to look at it regardless of the of the yeah. format, give me a moment and I'll pull that up. I think especially up. at shortstop, that's okay because it's the one other than other than Turner, right? Turner is the only top shortstop whose value, like he he goes from being a very good top five to seven shortstop in points leagues to being the clear cut number two in, in five by five. But other than that, those top guys are sort of the top guys. 
Francisco Lindor becomes the fourth highest shortstop if you change okay. the filter to all game ta- game types. So, but he also has the second highest minimum at thirty five dollars and the second highest maximum at fifty one dollars. So he's not you're not getting him for less than thirty five dollars anywhere in these first year leagues. So, so here's my response: is everybody is wrong, the market's <laughs> wrong, you're wrong, uh, and, and here here's why. I have him on my shortstop ranks as number eight. I've got him just below Glaber Torres and ahead of Bo Bichette. I've got him in a $30 tier. I don't think that that $23, I don't think the $23 in, in surplus calculator is reasonable for him. He had a very bad year last year. He also, and this is where some, some Cleveland fan bias, not even bias, some Cleveland fan awareness might be coming in. He was disengaged from day one last year. You could see it on the field. And he has said as much in spring training this year that he was he was not there. And I cannot blame him for not being there, right? Like if, if you're Lindor and you've got everything going on in the world around you, you've got a team refusing to build around you, you know that you're going to get traded at a moment's notice. Like, I don't, I don't blame him. But I, but I, absolutely believe that he and like we talked about this with Chris Bryant when we talked about third base right like I think Lindor basically took the year off and the problem is that the projections don't know that and so well I don't my argument there though is that it doesn't matter because if you throw 2020 out completely the projections are projecting him to be the same player he was in 2019 at the plate yeah, yeah, so if you want to throw that. away, if you threw if you if you threw out twenty, yeah, they would be higher because they'd be, they'd be looking at twenty eighteen. Yes, but right. I'm saying if you're expecting, if you're making the argument that you don't believe it because twenty twenty was an outlier, we could just look back at his last full season in twenty nineteen and see that that's exactly what is being yeah, projected but right I don't now. Think, I, I don't think that his last full season. I think I would to me. I look at twenty eighteen. Like what's happening? What I see in the projections is they're looking at twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, and they're basically landing in the middle, which is what you'd expect them to do. I'm saying ignore 2020, look at what you get from 2018, 2019, and land somewhere more in the middle of that. And so, no, I don't think he's a four. And this is why I'm saying everyone's wrong. $40 is too much in a first-year league. I'm not going there. $23 is way too low. And I've got him in a $30 tier because I think somewhere in between those two is the truth. And I would gladly be paying 33 34 probably not to 35 for him in a first-year league. I mean— I- yeah. And and you said that you disagree with the surplus calculator $23 value. And I agree. Like I have a note written right here that says, I think he's better than $23. But to me, where I would go at the highest end is 30 to 35. And I think we're kind of saying the same thing, but in opposite yeah. directions. You're not wrong. Everybody else is wrong. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the surplus calculator is wrong and all I'm, the other people are wrong. That's okay, not true. I'm, two people per league are wrong. I'm going to cut in, in every auto new league, there are two people wrong. Right, right. <laughs> because they're bidding up to $44 or whatever is happening, and that's crazy. But you and I are right. I'm going to I'm gonna snip out the part of this episode where you said you are not wrong. But I need you to re-say it as Justin, you're not wrong. So then I can clip it and use it every other time when we have an argument. So. Justin, you are not wrong. Oh, okay. I'm going to cherish that moment. Thank you. Okay. Let's let's talk about prospects. We didn't have many second base prospects to cover on that last positional episode, but there are a, a, almost too many to mention. I do want to start off talking about Wander Franco. He's in a u- unique position for me where he's not only the top prospect in baseball, but he's also already projected to basically hit right away. The bat projects him at a 342 weighted on base. So if he came up 
and he hit to that level and he played all year. And I know those are a big ifs in those situations. That would be something equivalent to Bo Bichette, 20 to $25 shortstop. That's huge for somebody who hasn't debuted yet to be, to be close to that level. Now, then again, his last 10 ads in Audenew are at $15. So you have to pay if he's available in your league, you're going to have to pay big money to, to get him. But, and I think I'm, I don't want to say anything bad about Wander Franco. Like he's clearly the best prospect in baseball and for a reason, and he's probably gonna have a long and wonderful career. I think we need to pump the brakes just a little bit here because he still hasn't seen anything above high a he is not necessarily going to be up anytime soon now the rays do their own thing and the rays may bring him up in a month and i may regret saying this but like he may not be up this year if you go to fan graphs you look at the board their eta for him is 2022 and i think if you're counting on him to bring you value this year you're probably counting on something you're not going to get maybe you get a cup of coffee maybe you get half a season a third of a season but i I'm not looking at a whole lot more than that. And I don't know. I like I have a hard time buying a 342 Woba projection for a guy that that Bat has no data on him since 2019 and the data it has is from Abel. And so I'm not I I if I were ranking the prospects that I wanted to buy right now in auto new leagues, he's awfully close to the top. He actually probably isn't at the top only because there's guys who I think are going to produce right now this year. He is awfully close to the top. I am not paying $15 for a guy who hasn't seen double A. I'm just not. No, neither am I. And and I don't think anybody should, but it's, and I think we, we, we talked about this in a prior episode where he's sort of in that mold of prospects who were hurt by the pandemic and they're not being in minor league season last year, because if he had been able to play in the minors, I would say that he probably is going to be up early this year, but we didn't get to see that. So we don't know how ready he is. We don't know how conditioned he is, how, you know, obviously we've got spring training going on right now and there's a lot of excitement behind Wander Franco, but at $15, you know, that's, that's a, that's a huge burden to carry on your roster. If he doesn't debut at all this year, and then you add plus one to that next year, I don't want to spread $31 over the next two years, hoping that he, that he comes up and hits. I actually think the the realistic worst case scenario, and what I mean by that is like, let's avoid any like, you know, catastrophic injuries, stuff like that, but just like a realistic thing that I think is a likely outcome that would be very, very bad. You buy a $15 Wander Franco right now. He comes up in August or September and he's bad. Right. And not bad like his career is over, not, but just, He's just bad. He's never faced major league pitching and he struggles. And then he goes up $2. He maybe still gets hit with arbitration in the offseason. And now you've got a $20 Wander Franco sitting on your, your team. Do you keep him? Right. I, I don't know. And so I, I think if he's $8 and he comes up and he's bad, then he's $10. And then I can make a bet on whether I think a $10 Wander Franco is a good bet. And I probably will think it is unless... I don't know, maybe bad is a 50% strikeout rate in 200 plate appearances, and then I'm not going to do it, but I'm not seeing that from him. So I'm I, I, at $15. I just, man, there's a lot, a lot of downside. And your upside is something like he's worth it next year. Right, right. <laughs> and this isn't a situation like we, we saw with Chris Bryant, right, where he was projected in the in the spring that he debuted 
everyone knew he was going to be held down for two weeks for service time reasons. He was projected to be, I th- I'd have to look, he was like 20 or $25 on the surplus calculator just based on projections before he had debuted. But that was given the fact that he had already played double A, triple A, like we had high level minor league performance data to back that up. And we do, and you're right, we do not have that with Wander Franco. We have two years ago, single A data and will our high A data. Will Wander Franco rise quickly through the system? Would he have if there was a normal season last year? Absolutely. I believe that that's going to be true. But the risk there is so much greater than some of these other prospects who we have more data. The less data you have, the more variance there's going to be with any with any attempt to project their future or even their short term. Other names I want to mention real quick, because I said there's a lot of shortstop prospects. Bobby Witt, CJ Abrams, Austin Martin, they're all top 20 hitting prospects, top 20 prospects overall. Um, They're all shortstop eligible right now. I like all of those players a lot. I don't know if they're all going to stick. I mean, probably Witt will stick at shortstop. Abrams, we already talked about. With respect to Tatis, when we talked about the second base episode, that Abrams is probably going to move to second base or some other position because Tatis is going to be the shortstop in San Diego for the indefinite future. And I also think that Austin Martin may or may not stick at shortstop. So these may be players that move off the position, but at least right now we are going to talk about them in the context of being shortstop prospects. I I love all three of those players, and I think that they're definitely – uh, names to consider, but you just have to be aware that they may not continue to have that eligibility going forward. I think there's some other guys who have a better chance of sticking at shortstop. I mean, I think Andres Jimenez with Cleveland is going to be a shortstop. I think that O'Neill Cruz, which seems crazy given his size, but everything I read on him says that he can legitimately play the position. So I think there's some interesting shortstops who are going to stick. I, I think Austin Martin, like he's not a shortstop. He's already not a shortstop. And I don't think he's like, it's not a question for him of whether or not he sticks. I don't think he will ever play a minor league game at shortstop unless they just throw him in occasionally to see Abrams. I, I, I saw a scout earlier today say that he'd be a great center fielder. He could maybe play second. He could maybe play third. That position is taken up. (laughs) But I, I think the bigger thing I see with shortstops in general right now is there's a bunch of really exciting guys like the ones you mentioned, like Marco Luciano, who I think will stick, who are not going to be up this year, most likely. And then there's a bunch of guys who I think might be up this year, like Jazz Chisholm, like I put Haseong Kim in this list, although I know you're you're a big fan, who I'm just not that excited about. Owen Miller should be up this year, but I don't think he's that exciting a prospect. So like you've got all sorts of guys who have the potential to be up this year without doing a whole lot. And a whole bunch of guys who have a ton of potential to do a whole lot, but probably won't be up this year. I, I want to circle back real quick on Marco Luciano, by the way. To me, if you're on the Wander Franco hype train, I'd rather have Luciano at his average first year price is under $4. I think that's the bet to make. Yeah, he's not going to, he he's probably a little further away than Franco, even though he's older uh, or the same age, I think. But I think he could be that next top shortstop prospect in baseball and get in on the ground floor now because for under $4, I would be rostering him anywhere I could because I think he has the potential to sort of explode over the course of this minor league season and going into next spring. So yeah, I think it's a great call. So, all right. Any other names? Do we want to talk about strategy? Okay. So we, we've already kind of spoiled some of this strategy for me, and I think you're going to agree. 
I like to kind of have a couple, at least one, if not a couple, two strong shortstops on my team. Yeah, it's hard to to overspend at the position because there is a premium paid, but I like to get one of those top guys. I definitely like to keep any shortstop I have that I think is a reasonable price, even if I think it's a dollar or two more expensive than it needs to be, because it's always super scarce at auction when you're in returning leagues for the really impactful shortstops, the ones that you can you can slot right in your lineup. So I like to I like to have a lot of depth. And I like to to spend a fair bit of money at the position if I can. I don't I don't know if what, what specifically if you agree with all everything I just said or or just part of it or no, none of I, it. I think I agree. I mean, I, I'm to me, I've got my 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 rankings. I've got sort of a top group of of nine shortstops: Tatis, Bregman, Seager, Story, Machado, Turner, Torres, Lindor, and Bichette. I really use Torres when I have him as a second baseman, not a shortstop, so you can sort of leave him out and call it eight. And then you've got a couple more in Carlos Correa and Xander Bogarts, who are my 10 and 11 on the list, who I think are, are closer to that tier than they are to the tier below them. I want at least one of those guys, and I'm happy to pay for two if I can find a good value, but I'm willing to... I'm willing to overpay a little bit to make sure I get one of them. And then I like to go into that middle tier and those value guys I was talking about. And so like, if you look at my six auto new teams, I've got Machado and Didi, Corey Seager and Didi, Bo Bichette. And then I've got Ian Happ as my middle infielder in that league. Uh, Bo Bichette. And I've got Lords Gurriel as my middle infielder in that league. And then I've got Seager and Correa and Bichette and on, on, in our food and travel league, I have Bichette. I also have Didi. I also have Jorge Polanco. I also have Marcus Simeon, who's another guy who I put into that next year. I have a bunch of those guys. But that's where, that's where I like to live, right? I love to be able to say I've got a stud shortstop, and then my, my second shortstop is a guy who I think is a value play and can can hold down the middle infield job, makes me feel good about where they are, or is just a backup I'm excited about. I mean, I think if you look at the the league where I've got Lords Guriel as my middle infielder, I've got Brendan Rodgers and Jake Cronenworth as backup shortstops there who I think have a lot of upside. In the league where I've got Ian Happ as my middle infielder um, behind Seager, that league hasn't drafted yet, and so we'll have to see how things play out. But I expect I will be in on some of those mid-tier guys we just talked about. Yeah, and and I I feel like in every single one of my leagues, if I don't already have myself in a position where I'm rostering one of those those that group that you mentioned, that's my plan going into auction because I agree 100%. Like I want to have a very strong shortstop to be in my shortstop position and then another mid-tier shortstop that in most leagues I'm starting a shortstop at my middle infield lineup spot and then I'm carrying a third shortstop potentially as just a backup for both for shortstop and the middle infield slot. And, and whereas I feel like in years past, I was, I'd had a strong second baseman, a middle infielder that was primarily a second baseman and then one shortstop and then one backup, you know, I kind of flipped now. Like I want a couple shortstops. I'm hammering shortstop and the middle infield position with shortstops and second bases. You know, like you said, if you've got Glaber, I agree. I'm, I'm slotting him in at second base and then hammering even more shortstops. I'm in a league where I think I have exactly that situation where I have Glaber, Bregman, and Seeker or something crazy like that because there was just value and there was enough positional flexibility to move those players around in my lineup. So, all right. I think we are probably done with this episode. We're going to do, we're going to do outfield next. And then we'll, we will do a relief pitcher episode similar to what we did last year. It's not going to be super in depth, probably more just some highlighting of some names that we want to mention. 
but outfielder will be outfield will be a big big episode so that'll be coming next hopefully soon because we know the the earlier we get these done the more meaningful and actual actionable information we can give people before their auctions kick off so as always thank you for listening and have a good night